Well, good morning. My son is a huge Patriots fan, and every week he's been here, he's been bitter that Tom Brady was not included in our bumper as the greatest of all time, but he'll get over it. Some of you are really bitter about that as well. But I want to show you a picture, and uh, even if you're not a golfer, I hope that you'll appreciate this picture. So this is a golf course in Alabama, in an area where a lot of people who golf go to play. And the golf course will give you a little hint of how difficult it is. It's actually called the judge. And so um, this picture I took just before placing my ball in this area over here <laughs> to, the, to the right, I have, I, have stood, I have stood on this golf hole about three different times. And every time I stand up there, I say, man, this is beautiful. And some of you are like, yeah, it's beautiful. But every time I've stood there, and I, and I stand over the ball, I just begin to like freak out. Right? And every time I have failed to actually place the golf ball where I'm supposed to, it's either ended up over here or some more water here to the left of the trees that you can't even see. And some of you are thinking like, you're pathetic. And that's true. And some of you are thinking, you need to practice more. And, and that's, that's true as well. But there is no substitute in golf or in life for confidence, for confidence. You know what it feels like to lack confidence. Maybe confidence when you needed to ask that really gorgeous girl out and you just couldn't find that confidence. Maybe confidence on the day of that big interview that's going to lead to that promotion that you've been waiting for. Maybe confidence to start that new business. You've got this innovative idea. You need to step away from what you're doing now to go and do that. And you just can't quite find the confidence to make that happen. Or maybe it's the hard conversation that you need to have with that individual that you know is going to be hard, but it can really push that relationship forward. But you got to have confidence to do that. But most importantly, maybe it's the confidence that we need or we lack to live out our faith to the fullest. I want you to say this with me to start. Even if you don't believe it, I just want you to say it, okay? Ready? We're going to say it together. Here we go. My confidence is coming back. Some of you were not very confident as you said that. <laughs> Let's try it again one more time. Ready? Up in the top. Here we go. My confidence is coming back. Now, when we say that, we mean a God kind of confidence, not Instagram confidence by, you know, how many likes that you get. Somebody tells me I'm awesome. That's not confidence. That's compensation. That's not what we're talking about. But today, I want us to dive in. To the, again, to the book of Hebrews, and I want us again to really look at what God has done, and because of what he has done, it can give us the confidence to begin to move forward into what he still wants to do. I want you to find Hebrews chapter 10. If you're here in the room, I want to welcome you. If you're watching online, you're at Southeast Campus, one of our microsites. We had a bunch of people gathered in St. George today who are there um, watching. And so we're so appreciative that if you can't be physically with us at the crossing, that you can also take advantage of that. And over the past few weekends, as we've been looking at Hebrews, we've been walking through the deepest of the deep in this letter, chapter 7, 8, and 9. And this has been like thick and heavy. And I hope you're loving it because we've been loving it. It's, it's really, really good stuff. But I don't know if you've noticed this or not. Maybe if you're reading on your own throughout the week. But the author of Hebrews has actually been repeating themselves 
over and over and over again. And what is it called when you repeat yourself over and over again? It's not called being married. It's called repetition. Repetition. Repetition, repetition, repetition. And that's what the author of Hebrews is doing. Now, why do we repeat things? Well, in our culture, we repeat things because the other person is on their phone when we said it to them. But there's really three reasons we repeat things as far as I can tell. First, the person I'm saying, saying this to isn't actually getting it. So I feel like I need to say it to them again. That's number one, all right? But the second thing is they may be getting it, but they aren't doing anything with it. Parents with teenagers. Teenagers, if you're in the room, that is you, all right? We're saying it, but they're not getting it. But the third reason is that they got it, and they may have even done something with it at some point. But now, catch this, they are losing confidence in it. They're losing confidence in it. So the writer of Hebrews has been using this tool of repetition to establish the context for these brand new followers of Christ whose world has been turned upside down. They needed context because where they had previously, hello, previously placed their confidence was now gone. And our context is always important to our confidence. We have to understand who and where and what our confidence is actually being placed in. If we're not sure about that, then it's really, really hard to have confidence in anything. So here's the repetitious idea that we've been listening to week after week after week. And I hope you're getting it. But let me sum it up for you, all right? We no longer, this is the writer of Hebrews, we no longer have to trust in our own external works to get to God. We get to trust in Jesus' finished work on our behalf. That's what they've been, he's been saying over and over and over again. And these first four verses that we're about to read sum up what we've been learning, and they repeat this key, key idea before we get to this confidence issue this morning. So let's read verses 1 through 4 together. If you have it in front of you, read it along with me. It says this, For since the law has been but a shadow we're going to come back to this word, has been but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? So we don't, wouldn't it be great if we didn't have to keep doing these things over and over again, right? If we could just do it once, be done, and we could move forward towards God's purposes. But he goes on to say, but in these sacrifices, goats and bulls and the whole sacramental system of the old covenant, there is a reminder of sins every year. So he's saying every time you have to go through this ritual, every time you have to repeat this rule or this, this thing that you have to do, it's a reminder. It's not a relief. It doesn't give you confidence. It's just a reminder that I'm messed up and God isn't happy with me. And I'm going to have to do this again real soon because it's not really going to take care of the problems. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That's why none of you, I don't think, had a bull or a goat on the hood of your car when you came into church today. If you did, we want to speak with you afterwards. 
But that's why we don't, we don't do that anymore, right? What he said in these four verses at the, is that there's been a lot of behavior, a lot of behavior that's being done over and over again, but it's not producing the results that we thought it would bring about. We can sum it up this way. The law pointed out a problem, but it didn't offer a permanent solution. It pointed to the problem, but it never really offered a solution. It was just merely a reminder every year. How many of you have gone through a diet? You know, you've gone through a phase where you're dieting. Maybe you're doing it now. You're like keto or you're like paleo or you're like low carb, high carb, high fat, low fat, eat avocados. I don't know. Whatever it is, you're doing your diet thing, right? And you're going to change the way you eat and you're going to really lean in to your exercise patterns. And you go through uh, several weeks or months of this and you step on the scale and you've gained 10 pounds. Awesome. Some of you are like, uh, I don't even want to talk about that right now. You're speaking my language right now. That's what the old covenant did. They were doing all of these things, and yet it wasn't really solving any solution at the core. It wasn't changing anything. So you might ask, why? Why is this even here? Why did God even have us do all this in the first place if it wasn't going to achieve the needed result? And the answer we read right here in the passage, God never intended for the old covenant to be an end all of itself. It was a, and we saw that word, a shadow. It was a shadow of the realities to come. There's always a shadow when an object is coming your way. There's always a shadow. But shadows never make sense until you see the actual object that's causing that shadow to be in front of you, to see that, right? You might see my shadow coming towards you around the corner, but you wouldn't at that point be able to describe the features of my face. You wouldn't be able to describe what I'm wearing. You wouldn't be able to describe my hair color. Because it would just be this dimly lit image of who I really am. Then once the object, me, appeared, then all that shadow would go away and you would actually be able to see what is important. And Jesus is that shadow. Jesus is all over the narrative of the Old Testament, telling the story of God and telling the story of his people and their interaction. His shadow's everywhere. Verse 7 has this amazing sentence that Jesus speaks about himself. It says, Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me, Jesus, as it is written of me in the scroll, the Old Testament, the scroll of the book. Do you know what he said here? This is pretty amazing. He says, I'm all over it. I'm all over the Old Testament. I'm casting a shadow there. So if you have been reading your entire life, if you've been reading the Old Testament without seeing peaks of Jesus there, we've been reading it wrong. If you read the story of David and Goliath and you don't see Jesus there, you're reading it wrong. If you read the story of Jonah hanging out in the belly of a whale for multiple days and you don't see Jesus there, you're reading it wrong. Everything that happened, everything that was happening that was put in place was a foreshadowing of Christ. That's what this writer is trying to tell these Hebrews who held this old covenant and this old testament, the scrolls, the, all of the teachings. They held it rightfully in very high regard. And so now he's trying to tell them all it was doing was shadowing, foreshadowing that Jesus would be coming. And when we understand the old covenant, the new covenant what you and I get to live under becomes this good news. It becomes the context for our confidence. 
But for those who had been and were still wrestling with living under the old covenant, it ultimately would crush their confidence all the time. They would approach God as if they were walking on eggshells. They would always be nervous. They weren't always sure because the old covenant always had this gap between themselves and God. Everything seemed to shout, stay away, don't get too close. God's intimidating. There was tons of uncertainty, so much confusion. And a lot of us, we get that actually. Some of us, we were scarred or damaged by a religiosity, rules, and regulations and behaviors and sin management that we were taught as kids that was intended at some level, hopefully, to move us towards God, but ended up being a barrier towards access to him. When I came out of seminary and I was 23 years old, man, I could preach rules and regulations. I was good at it, man. I scared the crud out of so many teenagers. I hope they love Jesus today. I mean, I would show the movies of them bound to hell, you know, and like you're, you're, you're eternally damned. And I know they're praying every night to receive Jesus before they go to sleep because they're just convinced that if they go to sleep and they haven't committed everything, that they're going to wake up in hell. Some of you are nodding at me. Either you were in my student ministry or you were in somebody's. Maybe Shane's. He's preaching the same thing. And man, it was effective at getting people fearful, but it wasn't effective at moving people towards real relationship. I was talking to Renald. He was leading worship last week here. He's our new student um, worship leader that, we're, that we hired. He's going to be here in two weeks. We're excited to have Renald with us. We were having lunch, and we were talking a little bit about this same concept. And he said, man, he said, brother, he said, brother, like that. He said, I grew up in the South. And he goes, I, gotta, I think I've been baptized like eight or nine times. He's like, I, I would have a bad couple months, and they'd offer baptism, and I'd have to get back in there and get baptized again and again and again. And that's kind of an old covenant mentality, right? It's that idea of it's just not taking. We need to bring another bull. We need to bring another goat. You need to get baptized. You need to pray that, you need to pray that prayer again, or God's not going to like you. And some of you, you are so tired of that. Some of you stepped away from faith because of some knucklehead like me. Some of you stepped away from the church, and now you're starting to peek back in, and you're starting to go, maybe there's something else. Maybe there's a relationship there that I can have. Maybe there is a faith that can make my confidence strong, not my confidence shaky when I approach, when I approach him. Verse 9, he says this. Then he said, here I am. I have come to do your will. And he sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy. This is the part that's awesome. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. If we really have in church today, somebody would have been like, yeah, they would have been like, because these three words are huge. Once and for all. You don't got to haul sacrifices to the crossing. You don't have to, it's once and for all, is what he said. Then skip down to verse 16. He says this, this is the covenant, this is the new covenant that I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws, not in some sort of ritual, not in some sort of regulation, not in some sort of demanding lack of confidence relationship. I will put them on their hearts and I will write them 
on their minds. And then he adds this, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Again, that's where we should be having church right now, right? They're lawless. That's golf clapping. That's not that great, all right? Nice chip. Yep, all right. Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sins is no longer necessary. And now, okay, if you're looking at it on your, on, your, on your phone or in your Bible, now we reach what I believe is the most, and many scholars believe is kind of the pivot point of the entire letter to the Hebrews. Okay, verse 19 of Hebrews chapter 10 is where things begin to turn. We move from a lot of information, important information, and we start to move towards implication. We move from all this truth that's important, and we swing into transformation. Here's the verse. Right? If there's one verse in Hebrews, there's a lot of them you should commit to memory. But if there's one, I would encourage you to commit this one. Here it is. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since okay, all of that that I've said and I've repeated over and over again, and I've told you and I've pounded it, and you're tired of hearing it, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that his his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us, let us draw near. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled, it's good stuff, to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. And because of that, let us now hold unswervingly to the hope we professed. For he who promised is what? Faithful. We can have confidence. And because of that confidence, here's what we get to do. Okay, It's not just knowledge. It's something that now we get to act out. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And some of you need to hear this. Not giving up, meeting together as some are in the habit of Empty seat there. I'm just kidding. Just, just kidding. As some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. Remember, when Jesus' when Jesus' death happened on the cross, that curtain that represented that barrier that had been established between God and man was torn in, was torn in half. Shane talked about it a few weeks ago. And we now have access into the most holy place. And we now have the high priest, Jesus, in place that's in... It, that's moving us into connection with God. Where we had no access or we had limited access, we now have full access, which gives us confidence. But then he says, because of this confidence, let us do these things. Let's draw near. Let's spur one another on. Let's not get lazy about getting together and gathering together. He says this, it matters that we gather it matters that you have others that are like-minded in their faith. It matters that there are others in your life that are pushing you, encouraging you, challenging you. You have to make the decision to follow Christ for yourself, but you cannot, you cannot follow Christ by yourself. You just can't. At The Crossing, we have this value. It's one of the six core values we have. You hear it a lot. We say life change happens best in relationship. Friday night we had 400 plus people that were at tables all throughout this room and it was our it was amazing. We, it was our 
our um, winter-rooted celebration. And these were folks who had committed 10 weeks of their time. They daily had gone through study. They'd shared. They'd been very vulnerable and transparent with each other. They'd prayed for each other. They'd affirm each other. And they're going to continue on in relationship. This wasn't a Bible study. There was, there was studying of the Bible that happened. But this was relationship, and this was gathering together, and this was spurring one another on, all happening in that context. If you haven't done it, you need to do it. No commercial. Just you need to do it and start in the next couple of weeks in our rooted. But I want to tell you, it is valuable because we need to do life together. We need each other. Why don't you just look at the person next to you and say, I need you in my life. All right? If it's your spouse, that's double. If you don't know that person, that was a weird moment right there. All right? <laughs> if you're a single dude next to a single gal, that really may have worked out for you. I don't know. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. But we need each other, and we need that. I need someone to look in my eyes and keep pressing, tell me, keep pressing on. Our community and the community that we have with each other either builds or busts our confidence. And you need a confidence committee in your head and your heart made up of individuals that will inspire you and challenge you and stand by you and say the tough things to you that you need to hear. I'm so grateful throughout my life for those who have spoken those into my life and my heart and my mind. They, they have been my confidence committee because there's a lot of other voices that will want to speak. But do you have that in your life? And when you come here, just know you are surrounded in a good way. If you want to go back, we got people around you who are really going to fight hard for that not to happen, to help you. You have a community here that will jump in and will boast your confidence. I recently finished reading a new book. It's great. I recommend it. It's by a guy named James Clear. It's called Atomic Habits. And he really deals with this idea of describing the moment when you set a goal. Anything in your life, you set a goal, you grab a vision of a desired future. What do you want to be? What do you want to accomplish? What are the things that you want to see happen? And when you get conviction around that, he explains that there's a time early on that happens when, you, when you're headed towards something that most people are not prepared for. That you sort of have this idea of how it's going to go, and you have this idea of the results you can expect to see, and the process that you hope to make, and it doesn't happen quite that way. Here's how he describes it in kind of a graph form. He says this, he says, here's the results that you want, and here's the time. And so most of us think that if we start doing something, that this solid line that's moving up and to the right, we really like that line, don't we? It's like, so I'm going to start eating right, and if I just do that over time, that it's just going to, I'm just going to see the results I want and the goals I want and all of that, right? But what he describes that's true in all of his studies is that actually when you set out for an objective, that there's going to be a moment pretty early on where you step on the scale. And he calls it the valley of disappointment. Where the objective you thought you were going to get to, even though you're doing all the right things and you've been changing your habits and you've got that goal in front of you, he says, there's that moment where you're going to hit the valley of disappointment. And when I read that, I thought of it in a spiritual context, that all of us in our relationship with Christ and the purpose that he has for us and the will of God that we see coming, there's going to be that moment where the valley of disappointment or the valley of discouragement comes. And this is the spot where most people tap out. They give up. They stop doing the things that they know they need to do to grow and to to move forward spiritually. It's the place where we are most likely to lose our confidence. 
and head backwards. And it's just, here's what's, here's what's so sad about it. And he says this. He says, it's just before breakthrough happens. It's right before breakthrough happens and things start to move and escalate is where the valley of disappointment and discouragement hits and where we tend to give up. The writer of Hebrews had some feedback for us about this. He didn't have this graphed, but here's what he, he wrote. He said this. When you start out and you're in that valley of disappointment and you're struggling with confidence, this one word and this one mentality helps us. He says, remember those early days after you had received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and to persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. Remember, these are folks that were new, they were new to faith, but this whole faith thing, this, this uh, following Christ was new in this culture, and it was not cool. So people were losing their lives. They were suffering. Even here, you suffered along with those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possession. Here it comes. So do not throw away, what? Your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you keep doing the will of God, even when it doesn't seem like, even like you're moving forward. You keep doing the will of God, even though it feels like, man, I am in the valley. Some of you are like, I know where I am right now. I'm in the valley of disappointment. You keep doing the will of God. You will receive what he has promised. And what the author is doing here that's awesome is he's using, this he's using a technique to help us understand confidence by giving us a contrast. He's giving us a contrast. I need some people to help me. Actually, come up and help me a little bit. Wendy, come help me. Come up to stay. Security's fine. They won't tackle you. All right? Come up here. Ronnie, come up here, if you will. Alicia, will you come up here real quick? Hustle, hustle, Wendy. We got to get out of here. You know, she's got the green shirt on. All right? Let's give these people a little love. All right? They had no idea. They're like, what is happening right now? Okay? Don't worry, you guys can just stand right over here. We're not going to make you do like a trust fall or anything like that, all right? So here's the deal. I want to illustrate for you with these guys what, what I call the gap, all right? Here's how I would define the gap. The gap looks like this. The space of time between when you have done the will of God, what we just read about, and are living connected to Christ, and when the will of God actually becomes apparent, it actually begins to play out in your life, all right? So, uh, Alicia, come over here really, real quick, all right? I promise you don't have to say anything or sing yet, all right? Stand right here on this X, all right? You can look that way so you don't have to stare at everybody. Plus, we're going this direction, all right? Okay, so here's Alicia. And Alicia represents where we are today. So this is you. Picture yourself. This is your life. This is your, where you are spiritually with Christ. This is whatever um, desires you have, wherever you want to accomplish in your life, what purposes that God gave you. That's what, that's what she represents, all right? Where I want to be. This is where I want to be, okay? Uh, Wendy, come over here because you're like a beacon, all right? I'm going to come way over here. Wendy works in the parking lot. That's why she looks like a beacon, so you can thank her. So you can stand this way, all right? Wendy, she represents where we want to be. Here's where we are. Here's where we want to be. I call this gap number one. What we normally see. This is where we wake up in the morning and we think about what are we going to do? What are we going to accomplish? We stand here and we go, I really, I want to get there. 
Like, how do I get there? How do I get there in my faith in Christ? How do I get that in my, in my job? How do I get that in following God's will and all of that? And here's what happens. In this gap, this is where we start to lose confidence. And you know that committee of voices I talked about a moment ago? This is where some other voices will begin to speak to you. Voices that will say, yeah, you're never getting there. Yeah, you can't do that. You know that treadmill you were going to use? It's gathering dust and it's got stuff all over it in the garage. Do you have that, Wendy? You kind of laughed. I didn't know if that was you, all right? It wasn't meant to be personal, all right? Just keep staring that way. Here we go, all right? So that's gap number one. And that's where a lot of us get to, and we just quit, and our confidence gets really, really shaky. Where I am is not where I want to be, and I can see it, but I'm not there yet. The voices are speaking to me. Now, Ronnie, come over here, buddy. Ronnie's going to stand over here. Midtown, all right, it's going to stand right here. You can turn that way. Suck it in, profile, all right? <laughs> all right? Just look that direction. Here's what's awesome. This is the gap that gives us confidence right here. This is gap number two. This is what we normally forget about. Because where Ronnie's standing, this is where we were. This is where we started. This is before Christ. Before grace, before forgiveness, before all those things. And now we're over there, and we're still looking towards that other one. But right here, all of us have a story. All of us have a narrative that if we really told that story, would talk about, this is where I was in those earlier days, and this is where I want to go. So if your confidence is being shaken today, I want to encourage you, and the writer of Hebrews would encourage you, to don't just spend all your time just mesmerized by that gap, but this gap right here, right? He says this, remember those earlier days. Remember those days. I think about the, so I'm going to tell you my list a little bit. Is that okay? Keep standing there, Ronnie. It's okay. It's over soon. All right? <laughs> Let me tell you about my list right here. Like, you have your own, okay? I'm going to give you a little, like, like, I'm 10 years old, and I'm at some camp, and some gal gets up and does a chalk drawing of Jesus on the cross, and I go, I think I need that. I think I'm 10, but I think I want to follow him, right? And God was there. I think about being married less than a year and telling my wife, guess what? We're going to move to Las Vegas. And there's a church there that has a bunch of really boring church kids sitting in a room. And they want us to try to pastor those kids. And they, don't, they don't even love Jesus. They don't love anything. They don't love us. And I remember with confidence when God said, if they're not coming along, then go get a van and fill it up with 25 kids when it should only fit 15 and just bring them and start, and start showing them who Jesus is. Or go plant a church or go, go be part of the crossing and see what God's done. Raise a family. Trust that in, in confidence that your kids are somehow going to discover Jesus and find their own personal journey. Okay, that's my list. I don't know what your list is. But I want, you to, I want you to know that your confidence comes from what happened here and knowing that this can happen as well. Because we look back and we go, God was there. Amen? Amen. Thank these people. They did great. Ronnie, great job. So here's the thing. I want you to write this down. Talk about it with your kids. Think about it this week. This is the one thing I want you to take from today. Is we don't live in the past but we leverage the past towards a more confident future. Okay, we, I know we get like, I don't think I want to look back. But look back at what God did. Look back at what God's been up to. Okay? 
We don't, we don't live in the past, but we leverage the past to a more confident future. I think about what God's calling us to do as a church, and I think of these gaps in the same way. Think about this. Two years ago, Shane stood up here and said, we want a bunch of people to go to the southeast part of the valley near Inspirata, and we're going to set up in a school, and we're going to do church. You're going to set up every day, and you're going to tear it down, and we need a couple hundred of you to go do it. And people went and did it. Right? And so t- just a few weeks ago, we celebrated the second anniversary of our crossing um, southeast campus, right? And these folks, that's not all of them. That's just our team. You're like, wow, it hasn't grown much. No, that's just our, that's just our team that sets up and makes that happen every week, right? And they're over there, and they're making it go. And we love the ground that's been gained in that part of the valley. So when we started talking about Midtown, we're standing here going, here's where we are. And we can look back and go, that's, that's what God was in at Southeast, and that's what he did, and that's what he accomplished. So now we can go, we feel like that's where we need to go. But we can be confident of that because we've been there before. People have been there before. And so today, we're so excited because over the last few months, when we, when we started talking about Midtown, a few weeks ago, we announced Nate as the lead pastor there. We have been looking at buildings. We felt like in Midtown, there needed to be a permanent location So Shane and our elders and Scott and our team, we've been out, and we started in one location, and we were like, man, we really like this location, but there's like a nightclub next to it. Maybe that's not it. (laughs) So we went out, and we prayed over it, and we felt like, no. And then we found this other location. We're like, this location's so much better. It's been empty for a long time. And we went out, and we prayed over it. We're like, maybe this is the location. And we were like tracking. like we, We felt like that's where we need to go. And then in December, Somebody in a service just like this walked up to Shane and said, there's a building that just was vacated and closed yesterday. You need to find out about that building. And so we did. And today we're so excited that we have landed our location for our Crossing Midtown campus. It's at the corner of Sahara and Valley View in the former Kaplan Brightwood College building. It's a beautiful building. A beautiful building. That, here's what's awesome, here's where you can apply, is that the inside of this building, millions of dollars has already been spent by somebody else, thank you very much, <laughs> that will lessen all of the work. It's a separate building, parking lot, monument sign, 40,000 square feet of incredible space in September that will be occupied by the crossing in the middle of town, and it's going to be fantastic. <laughs> and here's why this is possible. Listen, if we hadn't done that, we could never do this, because We need to remember what God is up to. At the end of the chapter, here's what the writer says. Do not throw away your confidence. Listen, all that says to me and you is is we have control. That you think people can take your confidence, they can't. You have to choose to throw it away. You have to make a conscious choice to, to just say, I'm done with it. I don't have confidence. And I just want to encourage you today to walk in confidence and to allow God to work in that. There's a song that we've sang around here for quite a while. It's called Do It Again. We've sang it for a year or so. I was thinking about this song this week as I was writing some of the thoughts for today. And in the song, it says words like, you know, this is our confidence. I see you move, right? I know that you'll do it again. And so I looked it up, and the writers of the song, they wrote it because they were studying the, the Israelites as they were walking around Jericho. And they had to walk like seven times for seven days. And they said, it must have been interesting, like you're the fourth time around on the fourth day. And you're like, do it again. Right? It's like, seriously? 
But you think about that because they had to remember where God had been faithful and they had to, in confidence, look towards God would be faithful again. And today, I want us to sing that song together, keeping in mind the confidence that God has, keeping in mind confidently where God has been with us and where he's leading us in the future. Father, I just pray right now that in this room, as hearts are leaning into you, God, that you would help our confidence to soar. God, as we reflect on where we've been, that we would have faith in where we're headed. God, I pray for those today that perhaps in this moment they're, 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 they've been tempted to throw away their confidence. God, I pray today that you would, that you would God, just get a hold of them. Reassure them. Give them a glimpse of where they've been, where they are, and where you want them to go. God, we're grateful for that. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.